This job is challenging. This job is rewarding. This job is hard. This job has good days. This job has bad days. Productive days and sad days. It's exciting. It's invigorating. It's meaningful. It is... It's amazing. Um, it is challenging. But it's something that really matters, you know. I, um, I think at the end of the day, we don't we don't take our cars with us or our homes with us. You know, it's the relationships we build in our lives and the meaningful things we do in our lives. Welcome back to The Placer Life as we continue our look at the Whole Person Care Program, focused on moving people out of chronic homelessness. In the last two episodes, we introduced you to three members of the program whose paths have been different, but all had led them to homelessness. Today, we'll be taking a closer look at whole person care staff and learning what they do every day to ensure that these people don't fall through the cracks. You know, the people that are there helping care, you actually feel it, the care. You can feel it in your heart, and you can see it in your eyes. You know, they're wonderful people, you know. There's not many, many people that would want to do something like that, you know. They'll probably say, well, I have enough problems on my own, let alone some worry about somebody else's. That's Skip, a whole person care member who you met earlier. Todd, his caseworker, was one of the first people to come on board the team in 2017, a team that was building a new program from the ground up. It's really uh, very cool and difficult and challenging and confusing and rewarding all all together. Uh, At at first, really not knowing what I was doing and if I was doing things right and if hopefully people were happy with what I was doing. Um, But I had a lot of support from, we have you know, great people working there and they put to put the program together and everybody was so supportive. Um, and then, so from there, just feeling structure being built around you and just keep doing what you're doing and then kind of getting more direction added on. It kind of just all just sort of happened. I, I had my boss tell us one time that we were building the plane while we were flying it and that felt pretty appropriate. His boss is Jeff Smith the program manager who has overseen the development of whole person care. My background is I have primarily worked in mental health. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've worked at various levels, children's services, adult services, private practice. I've done a lot of different things. Um, I've always been particularly interested in working with underserved populations, so having the opportunity to work with the homeless population was pretty exciting for me. Uh, To start something from scratch, it's really an amazing opportunity. You can build it just the way that you think will be most effective. And since I've been in the field for a while and I've learned a few things, I think I've learned some things about how to run an effective program that can help people and meet them where they're at and help them make progress in their lives, help them but not do it for them. Uh, Another honestly very exciting thing about it is getting to hire and build my own team. One of those people he brought on board was Jillianne Baxter. 
My name's Jillianne Baxter. Um, I'm an LCSW, also a um, senior client services practitioner for whole person care. My job includes um, some supervisory work, supervising um, staff and opening clients, closing clients, overseeing data, making sure things are accurate. It was a really cool time being there at the very beginning, establishing all the paperwork and, I mean, ordering charts and picking out. You get, We got to pick out what color charts we wanted and, you know, we got to, we have like whole person care t-shirts and just the camaraderie and the feel of like the importance of a team coming together and creating this program was really energizing. Talk to me about some of the things that led you to have an interest in this population or I mean you went to school I assume for psychology or social work social work mm-hmm. what what led you down that road you know it's my mom's a social worker my mom has a private practice here in Auburn and has for over 20 years she's in a licensed clinical social worker too um, and so is my twin sister. <laughs> she's does she's not licensed yet, but she's almost there. Oh wow! And she's a medical social worker up at Sierra Nevada. Um, but a unique thing I feel that I have um, is that my mom was a social worker, so I saw the professional side of things. But then I also have a really close family member that I it's my father, my dad. He um, struggled with substance use and addiction pretty severely early on in my childhood, and it just progressed and got worse into my adolescence. Um, But I did see the discrimination and the way that he was treated by people, just being out in public and, you know, being he was in in and out of the hospital a lot. He had a lot of health issues, PTSD from Vietnam, all kinds of different things. But people just didn't treat him well. And it gave me, like, a huge... I don't know, um, push to come into this field and treat people the way he treated people. He was very empathetic, and he looked people in the eye. And he didn't have much, but he would share money with you know homeless people. And just the way that he lived his life, even though he you know was abusing substances and you know had had mental health issues, um, he was just really empathetic and charismatic and compassionate. And I wanted to bring that to the field when my, in my work with my clients. He went through phases of homelessness. Um, he was homeless for a solid year at, for the longest. And then it would be like a month here, a month there. Um, and did you, got, did you see him regularly or was he mostly... We did early on. Um, it was every other weekend visitation. At that point, he was only, he was only an alcoholic. <laughs> He was a functioning alcoholic early on, and it progressed into different things. But yeah, we were pretty involved in his life, and it just, like I said, it just progressed into more serious addiction as time went on. And then the every other weekend visitation stopped. Okay. And And we went seven years without talking to him at all. We were back in contact um, at that point because he really needed us. He really needed me to be, he needed my sister too. Um, just help with his health. He had COPD, he was on oxygen. Um, his cognitive functioning was pretty impaired at that point. But, you know, we were doing real life social work before I was even a social worker. We were supporting him, linking him to services, getting him into room and boards. And he was a veteran, so he was connected with the VA. But at that point, the VA. And I don't know if it was my dad not engaging in services with them or not, but um, he needed he needed more support. 
How old were you when he passed away? What was what was that experience? Was it just a result of health issues? Or what? It was a result of health. Um, he had, well, once they took his oxygen away, he passed away. He had a DNR on file, and so um, life-sustaining treatment wasn't in his care plan, essentially. Um, he died when I was 29. One thing that is motivating for people, especially if they want to obtain sobriety, usually comes from family. He never got to that point. His addiction was pretty far along. I know, you know, I, I do think addiction to a certain degree is a choice, and his addiction was, he was so entrenched in that that he couldn't choose. Or maybe he could have. I don't really know. Um, but when he was was dying, a chaplain came in and said, what are your greatest greatest accomplishments in your life? And he said his girls. And that meant a lot because I think, you know, he he could have died years ago probably, but something was like keeping him, like a keeping him alive. I don't really know what it was, but I sometimes think though, if he would have had a really good interaction with a social worker at some point in time where he really felt like he was being listened to and he was being well cared for, that maybe he would have seen things differently. I don't really know. It's all hypothetical at this point, but I have to like think that, you know, maybe he would have changed. Maybe. So that's kind of motivating to me. I honestly feel like I was born to be a social worker. <laughs> I don't think you learn it in school. I don't think it's not a skill you can just read a book about. I feel super privileged to be in the field and have the interactions and relationships that I have with my clients. And I really do care. And that's really the common thread between these caseworkers. Here's Karen, whose clients include Ellen, the homeless cancer patient you met in an earlier episode. I just really enjoy working with people and people that have a lot of stuff going on in their lives. Um, from my past, I've experienced a lot of things and a lot of hardship. And um, so for me, it's it, it, it's kind of... Helping encourage people and to know that there is hope that, you know, um, just some of the ways that I've been able to overcome that they are able to overcome. When I was a teenager, I experienced um, sexual abuse a couple of times from older men. Um, uh, got married at a young age was pregnant previous to that and ended up um, marrying my first husband and um, he over time became addicted to drugs and to hard drugs um, methamphetamine and crack cocaine and um, would be gone for a week at a time and come back and hadn't slept and hadn't eaten and you know was just very um, verbally and physically and sexually abuse abusive um, so uh, started going to Al-Anon and um, dealing with some codependency issues that I had and um, decided that my life was worth more than staying in that situation and especially not wanting, because I had two children, um, not wanting to subject them to that. One of the things I really enjoy with my clients is just honestly sitting with them and reminding them of of, you know, what their identity is, that their identity is not being homeless. You know, they feel so stigmatized and so rejected. And so for me, I think that's the most important thing that I do. Obviously, it's important to find them housing, 
but really for them to understand their value um, and to know that, you know, it's much bigger than being homeless, you know. And so I just really love to sit and, and, and share with them and just how much I, I care about them and that, you know, that there is a future and there is a hope and that I'm going to help them in that journey as much as I can. When a caseworker like Jillian, Karen, or Todd first connects with a new whole person care client, they do a thorough assessment, like they did with Skip, Carly, and Ellen, the members we met in previous episodes. Every member gets a comprehensive assessment and a tailored treatment plan to meet their needs within 30 days of enrollment into the program. To be in our, enrolled in our program, they have to have Placer County Medi-Cal, and they have to be uh, homeless or in danger of or being homeless. Um, and then we would just kind of do an intake, ask them general questions about themselves, um, you know, and see what their goals are, where they are, and, and how we can, how our program can benefit them. And then just move forward and making kind of a goal list and then kind of direct them towards the right resources for them and, and then meet with them regularly to provide support. I think it's really important. At that point, now we know what their goals are. We're going to start working on those. A lot of times they're, the need is housing. So then they enter the housing bundle and we start working on housing with them among connecting them to primary care doctors and all kinds of different things. It just, you know, can't put them in a box. Everybody's different. We interact with everyone in the community. You don't know what particular needs a person is going to have. They may need to get an ID, so we're at the DMV. We may be working with Social Security. We may be working with the payee service. Um, We may be working with their probation officer. Could be working with Aunt Betty in Idaho. You know, there really is – there's any number. It just every every person's an individual, and we see what they need, what's the best way for it to happen, how much of it can they do themselves. When Todd met Carly, she had already begun receiving treatment for her crippling agoraphobia, which you heard about in a previous episode. I went and seeked help, and you know I've seen a couple of therapists, and until I found one I liked that I was comfortable with, and I still see her, and. Uh, yeah, so it's it's still uncomfortable for me, but I've learned to force myself, where before I wouldn't force myself. I would just say, forget it, I'm not doing it. And now I think, if you want a normal life, you have got to do whatever it is. You know, go to the store, do this, <laughs> you know. So tell me how you felt coming into the studio today. I was very anxious. Um, I did take an extra anxiety pill today because I knew that I would be, you know, um, you wouldn't want to take my blood pressure right now. <laughs> Trust Uh-oh. me. Okay. And I, good thing I'm sitting down. Yeah, because it's the same feelings I had before, just not to the extent that they used to be. I count to 10 all the time, and I, you know, I can do this, and I always keep a stress ball with me because that helps me, or Kleenex or something like that. While these challenges have continued to affect Carly, she's been able to work with Todd on other goals as well. She was on SSI, so she has no income at all. So when you're thinking of the goal being housing, 
there's got to be some kind of income somewhere. Um, so we kind of we we thought about job training. So we got her set up with um, Placer Employment Services, and um, she got on a little bit general relief so she could get it was like ninety bucks a month or something. But um, employment services can prolong that as long and they they help you develop a resume and goals and. So we got her set up with um, Employment Services and Judy Moore. So good morning, everyone. My name is Judy. I'm with Placer County Employment Services. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to flip it around. Instead of me sitting with you one-on-one, -on -one, asking a bunch of questions, mock interviews, seeing how you respond, you're the employer. We're making you employers today. And then we have people coming in, they're interviewing for the position, the mock position that I've created. I'm sitting in on a job interviewing workshop run by the county's employment services team. Here is Judy Moore, who teaches several workshops at the Career Center in North Auburn, a building owned by Placer School for Adults, where the county collaborates to offer free job readiness classes, not just to clients like Carly, but to the general public as well. She came through mock interviews, um, she, and as the class is set up, the tables are reversed. The, the um, individuals who sign up for the workshop have become the employers. They're doing the interviewing. And when I split the class up into the panel, she came to me and she says, I can't do this. I'm terrified. And I encouraged her. And I said, well, just one interview. We'll get through the first interview and you tell me how you're feeling. So she agreed. She got through the first interview. I followed up with her. She's like, oh, this is a piece of cake. I've got this, Judy. And when we debriefed, she just says, she says, she says, I'm confident. She says, but I realize I just have a lot of work that I need to do. She was very anxious when she first came, but she was fully committed and involved in finishing the process. She's very knowledgeable and she has a lot of wonderful skills. Um, but because of some struggles that she deals with on a personal level, uh, it was quite quickly apparent that this was terrifying for her. Um, we were one of the, the classes we were going to a job fair um, as a group. Uh, and before we left that morning, she came to me and she says, Judy, I can't do this. And she explained to me um, the reasons why the anxiety, um, the, the phobia of being in those crowds. And so we had a one-on-one -on -one discussion and I said, you know what, we are changing the tables and we are, you are not going to the job fair to find a job. I would like you to just go and show up. And if that means just sitting outside, you showed up for that day. And, and so she took the challenge and we got to the job fair. She started off with getting her LinkedIn picture. And then she actually did go into the job fair on her own. Before we arrived, I said, if you want me to walk with you, whatever you need from me, you just let me know. She independently went into the job fair, got some brochures and then went outside. So she was through the process. She was realizing that even though it was fearful, she could conquer some of the, these steps. For Carly, mental health treatment opened the doors for other supports like these job preparedness resources. But every whole person care client walks in the door with different needs. Everybody's different. We all have different levels of where we'll get to. And some people will maybe always need that assistance. And we then we look for more permanent solutions for that. Um, and there are others who uh, 
can learn and do some of those things themselves and even start helping others do those things. And that complexity and the wide range of needs is why partnerships are such a big part of whole person care. People um, experiencing homelessness um, don't have great health outcomes despite the fact that you have uh, lots of dollars being spent um, for services, but they're also in lots of different segments of the service delivery uh, system. And part of that reason is because everyone's doing really great work, but kind of within their sector, within their silo, and they're not talking to anyone else. They're really not coordinating. And so lots of duplication of services, so multiple people kind of working on the same thing. Um, but uh, even at sometimes where we're working at cross purposes. And, you know, great example um, would be, you know, I remember, you know, I, I was a, a practicing uh, psychiatrist uh, more down when I, I came from Fresno about uh, four or five years ago and would uh, sometimes, you know, have a patient that I was working with um, and would have a, a primary care doctor who was prescribing medications that were going exactly against what I was trying to do from a psychiatric perspective. And, you know, it was really tough. You know, it was um, there weren't systems in place to allow us to communicate or even know that the other person uh, that what they were doing. Um, you would have uh, I would have a patient who uh, I was trying to work with and um, wouldn't even know that they were homeless. We're all trying to do our best, but we're not really connected with what the others are doing. And I think whole person care, uh, we're really trying to be the hub for the services. And so to know, um, to ask the right questions and to know what's going on in different aspects of our members' lives, but also uh, weave together the different services that they're receiving. Partnerships are highly effective in getting needs met. And I call it social capital, but having good partnerships with people helps you reach your goals faster. Anthem Blue Cross, Advocates for Mentally Ill Housing, California Health and Wellness, Day Indian Health, City of Roseville Housing Authority, City of Roseville Police Department, Collective Medical Technologies, Community Recovery Resources, Cornerstone Crisis Residential, Gathering In, Homeless Resource Council of the Sierra, Idea Consulting, Interfaith Food Closet, Pacific Education Services, Placer County Adult System of Care, Placer County Animal Services, Placer County Housing Authority, Placer County Human Services, Placer County Probation, Placer County Sheriff's Office, Placer County Substance Use Services, Salvation Army, Stand Up Placer, Sutter Auburn Faith, Sutter Community Benefits, at a Roseville Medical Center, Point, Volunteers of America, Well Space, Western Sierra Medical Clinic. And that's just the start of the list of partners. I think one thing that's nice about Placer County is it's not too big of a county. Some counties are so big that to get those systems to talk to each other is almost impossible. They're, they're really major organizations unto themselves. Uh, and Placer isn't so small that you know, those different organizations are two people because they're all the same. You know, it, it, it's a good, good-sized county where, you know, there's there's big cities, there's real-world issues, um, but it's small enough people still know each other and are willing to work together. You know, people in d different organizations don't always agree. They have a different viewpoint, uh, even if it's similar kind of work. They have a different emphasis. But in Placer, I really feel like there's an attitude of figuring out what is the best thing, what makes the most sense, and working together to make that happen, being willing to compromise, willing to work together, and moving forward. In the next episode, we'll take a hard look at what might be the toughest nut to crack, housing. 
Half of households in Placer are paying more than 30% of their income on housing, the threshold of affordability. Vacancy rates are low. In that environment, what can be done? We'll look at creative solutions that Whole Person Care is coming up with.